When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet Following the truth wherever it leads Exposing evil and corruption And the secret machinations of powerful elites Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality Coming to you from the Great White North And his studio beneath the stairs Here's Richard And welcome to another episode of A Strange Planet. Let me just crib here from the back of this book, The Nature of Astrology. Our ancient ancestors recorded the rhythms of the sun, moon, planets, and stars, correlating these rhythms with weather, plant growth, and animal and human behaviors. From these early geocosmic recordings were born calendars, astronomy, and astrology. While astrology is now mostly viewed as subjective fortune-telling, Bruce Schofield argues that astrology is not only a practice, but also a science, specifically a form of system science, a set of techniques for mapping and analyzing self-organizing systems. Bruce Schofield holds a doctorate in geosciences from the University of Massachusetts, a master's degree in social sciences from Montclair University, and a degree in history from Rutgers. He's a member of the National Council for Geocosmic Research and president of the Professional Astrologers Alliance And he is the author of 14 books. He lives in Amherst, Massachusetts. And again, this is the latest, The Nature of Astrology. Bruce Schofield, welcome to the program. How are you? Thank you. A little cold, but uh, other than that, all right. (laughs) We're hardy winter people, you know. (laughs) It's the Northeast. That's it. Um, Let's, a little bit of a history lesson here. when, who were the first, let's call them sky watchers? Uh, when was the, or let me be more precise, the first sky watchers who kept records? Yeah, that was in Mesopotamia. I'd probably start with the Sumerians, but the, you know, there's a succession of empires, but Babylon was kind of a center, an intellectual center. But probably goes back about uh, 5,000 years. The actual records go back to about 4,000. I mean, what, you know, really specific records like phases of Venus attached to omens, which would constitute a form of astrology, omen-type astrology. Well, a cookbook astrology, right? Cookbook astrology, up, right, right. You know, moon conjunct Venus, and you look it up and it says, oh, there'll be, uh, you know, a lot of women in your life. <laughs> you know, it, it might have been like 4,000 years ago, they'd see that, and they would have, uh, you know, the queen had a fit or something. Um, now, that would have been recorded on cuneiform? Yeah. And they survived. They're, you know, the cuneiform tablets are clay tablets and the uh, the written language was pushed into the wet clay with a stylus and then it was baked and they have lasted for a very long time. They don't go away like paper. So when we're talking Mesopotamia, there's the, the fertile crescent there. That's where the big agricultural revolution happened. So what... what... You know, some, some people, I just read a book called The Food Crisis in Prehistory. Yes. And the guy argues that People, humans knew about agriculture for a long time. I mean, that wasn't really an invention. 
what happened was they overpopulated the place, depleted all the resources, and they had to go to it. And and what he said was that they didn't really want to because eating that that, that meat from the the big game, the megafauna was so good, and they had to start eating these grains that they had to prepare for long periods of time and commit themselves. And he says, we're in one now. And the next, you know, we're fighting off eating insects, you know, growing insects and eating them. He says, a thousand years from now, it'll be normal. Right, right. If we want to sustain those populations. Anyway, it's not astrology. It's just a little insight. Into, but, uh, so, you know, but, but given that there was the, the agriculture, there was the... Were they prim primarily concerned with, well, I guess, what is known as astrometeorology? Well, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I more or less argue one of the arguments in the book is that astrology should be looked at from a broad perspective. And it was traditionally divided into two sections, uh, natural astrology and um, judicial astrology, which would be more about people. But the, the natural side would have to do with things like the tides and the weather. And of course, this is information is invaluable to people who are embarking on agricultural civilization, where you're no longer, you know, wandering around following big, big herds. You're stuck in a place and you have to stay there and you have to protect everything from invaders and you have to store food in case of drought. So, you know, knowledge of the seasons and the weather was crucial. What were they using? Uh, reflection pools as they did in Mesoamerica or what were they using in, in Mesopotamia? For what? Uh, to look at the skies. Oh, I, they had towers and they had people up there with sighting instruments, no doubt. Um, they had essentially a college of sky watchers. And uh, then they would record what was going on in the sky and, and also record what was going on in the kingdom and look for correlations. So um, in terms of the astrometeorology we we're talking about, can you give me an example, maybe something, an important connection uh, these early astrologers were able to to make that were important to agriculture or or even basic survival in, well, in, other words, in order to they could forecast now well certainly forecasting the seasons is crucial and there may be other rhythms uh, particular to a certain area like you know the flooding of the Nile in Egypt was timed by the heliacal rising of uh, Sirius but there there may have been other other weather patterns that were observed. Mesopotamia is uh, very erratic and unstable weather-wise. So uh, rains would be important, maybe predicting rains. And, and you see in the writings of the Arab astrologers in the medieval uh, period, they were very concerned with predicting rains. And I mean, there's, you know, their writings survive. Um, it's hard for me to test it out here in New England, but, uh, and I don't know that anybody has tested it out uh, given, um, the weather records that we now have available. The um, the almanacs, were they based on astrology? Yeah, that's how people got their weather forecast. They would buy an almanac for the year ahead. And that tradition ha was continued. I mean, we have almanacs out today, but I think nearly all, none of them, except with a few exceptions that are connected with astrology publications like uh, Llewellyn puts out the moon sign book, and they actually have an astrologer write up the forecast. But the other ones... Uh, in New England, we have uh, the old Farmer's Almanac, and there are a few others, and they've kind of given up on the astrology, and they use uh, National Weather Service information, and they have a, their special formula, uh, like when the uh, phases of the moon occur and where they're located relative to the horizon, which some astrologer several hundred years ago probably put together, and uh, you know, he was he had his own almanac, and he just 
kept it private, but it's leaked out and you can find it on the Internet. And they don't, they don't even use that anymore in, the, in most cases. And they don't want to talk to you about it. I've called up these places. They don't want to talk about what they do. It's that's that's part of their appeal. You know, it's a mysterious way that they predict weather. And you know what? Their record is horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. So, uh, what about the, uh, the 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 Greeks and their knowledge of geometry? How did they use that to advance astrology? Well, they picked up on Babylonian, uh, Mesopotamian uh, omen astrology, and they um, put it into some kind of form. You know, they uh, were big on geometry, and, and when you look at a, a birth uh, astrological chart today, it's obviously it's a it's basically a three hundred and sixty degree graph of where this, what was going on in the sky at a particular location at a particular time. But, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a deeper question in your question. And it's, I, I think it's, was astrology invented by a single genius or was it something that came together out of over time or was it a committee or what? Because there was this transition in the, the centuries, uh, you know, BC, probably somewhere around 300, you know, BCE, where, you know, Greek, astro uh, you know, uh, geometry and astrology, Babylonian astrology had been mixed and people were starting to write books on it. Now, the first quote unquote horoscope we have goes back to, I think, 410. But somewhere around there, something got put together. And it was at a time when the Greeks were pretty much at their height with philosophy and and science and and Alexander had opened up all the, uh, you know, by conquering Mesopotamia and all the way into India, he opened up the floodgates for um, the transfer of information both ways. Oh, the, uh, the, the Hindu um, school or tradition of astrology, did they begin the, the whole, the birth charts? Was that their thing? No. No? As, my understanding of it is that in the Vedas, there are references to moon cycles. Um, but what's what might be called horoscopic astrology birth charts kind of came in with the greeks ah so was there a distinction back then like uh like pythagoras for example would he have been considered an astrologer a mathematician was it all the same well pythagoras was a philosopher and he was early i mean he he goes goes back with the pre-socratics in the fifth century and um I think that he had he speculated on the nature of the cosmos. You know, you could say that he was a bit of a cosmologist, and he certainly was a mathematician. He, you know, famous for the Pythagorean theorem, which you probably got from the Egyptians. But um, I wouldn't call him an astrologer. During the Renaissance, though, weren't wasn't the the, the word for mathematician and astrologer basically the same? Yeah, mathematici. Well, that was that. It was like that for a long time. I believe they uh, astrologers referred to mathematicians even in Rome. I'm pretty sure about that, um, because they had to do the math. That was that was a big challenge for for doing astrology. You had to calculate the horoscope. Now, the word horoscope, Greek word, means you know view of the hour, and it refers to the ascendant. And, and from the ascendant, everything else, like the midheaven and the houses, would be constructed. So calculating that turns out to be very complex. 
and required the development of a different kind of geometry. Uh, the, you know, it, it required spherical geometry and eventually trigonometry. And that was worked on for a very long time. And the best minds around were engaged in that process. And it finally came together around the time of the Renaissance. And at that point, with tr trigonometry pretty much done and, and computations being facilitated by the development of uh, logarithms, which are based on the findings of spherical trigonometry, the astrologers didn't need to be great mathematicians anymore. So the mathematicians went elsewhere. They went into, you know, astronomy. Well, that was and my next question. Astronomy, wasn't astronomy, physics, and engineering, basically. When was there like a, um, a schism, like a moment when they went their separate ways, or was it always thus? There was astronomy, there was astrology. No, they were, they were pretty much in the same loop. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the same people did, did both. Um, you know, you take somebody like Kepler, uh, great mathematician, great, you know, astronomer, great astrologer. You know, he kind of combined it all. He's one of the last that did that. But he was frustrated about it. I, you know, if you read his, some of his writings, and they're almost always taken out of context by the skeptics, he said, you know, why do I want to be reading horoscopes to these stupid people that don't learn anything? Um, they, they'd under, understand the nuances in an astrological forecast. You know, it's just a waste of time. So, I mean, there was, there's that too. I mean, it, it got, you know, when astrology was connected with a patron for a long time, or there were, you know, there were the intellectuals that were in the universities or in the monasteries, right? So there was, there was institutional support. Then you got the printing press and then you had uh, astrologers able to break free from a patronage system and publish their own almanacs, which is back then the equivalent of putting up your own website. <laughs> and they got out of control and basically trashed the field with crazy predictions. And that didn't help either. You know, the downfall of astrology, I discussed that in the whole central section of the book. The book is in three big sections. Each one's like a book itself. But the middle section is concerned with how astrology, uh, you know, fell in the gutter, basically. The Mesoamerican... Um astrologers or sky watchers yeah. would it be fair to say they had a particular interest or they placed a particular emphasis on venus well yeah uh, venus is third brightest object in the sky after the sun and moon and it has some interesting behavior first it shows up as a morning star and then it's an evening star and then it, then it reverses and in between it disappears for a while the first records we have real records of Planetary positions and omens in Mesopotamia go back to about, I, I think, about 17, 1800 BCE, uh, the Duga tablets. And they're very similar to what uh, the Maya were doing, you know, about a, a thousand, 1500 years ago. So um, it would seem that if you're a sky watching society, you know, you watch the sun and you get the seasons, you watch the moon, you get the tides and maybe some, you know, biological things happening. Um, and then you look at Venus and you try to figure that out. Now, we have, we have a pretty good idea that both cultures divided the astrological nature of Venus into two parts, morning star and evening star, although Mesopotamian records uh, are not as uh, clear about that as 
the Mayan records, which show four distinct stages and they break them off, they relate them to the cycle of the moon. It's a little more complicated, but both cultures were essentially focusing on Venus early on. And what was it telling them? I mean, again, were the Mesoamericans, were they more into astrometeorology? Well, they, that was part of it too. But I think with Venus, it was more about social regulation. And um, John Carlson wrote a book, who's an archaeoastronomer, wrote a book called, uh, uh, you know, Venus and War. I'm trying to think what the title is, but it's, it's basically connected with um, Venus Regulated Warfare is the title. It's a monograph. And it's about how the phases of Venus were not only interpreted by the Maya as correlating with big changes in social behavior, particularly wars, but they were also chosen as times for acting on things like that. So, you know, that that's, you know, from the, the standpoint of an anthropologist, you know, that's doesn't necessarily prove astrology, except that it's a, a useful way of organizing social behavior. From the standpoint of an astrologer, there, there's something else going on as well. There's some some deep rhythm that humans are hooking into. Bruce, we're going to take a quick time out. We'll come back and continue to discuss the book, The Nature of Astrology, and we'll tell you how to get a copy. Stay with us. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. We are back with Bruce Schofield. One of the um, things that you kind of emphasize again and again in the book, The Nature of Astrology, History, Philosophy, and the Science of Self-Organizing Systems, is just that, is just that, that the subject matter of astrology is self-organizing system, systems. What, is a, what do we mean by a self-organizing system, first of all? Well, it's, it's a, a, a phenomenon in nature. You know, we have things like uh, rocks and uh, radiation and gases moving around. But we also have things like life where there's a, um, an existence that is kind of an emergent phenomena out of all the elements that make it up. And it's self-sustaining. Uh, I think one of the most important things is that it slows down entropy. You know, in other words, it, it breaks kind of the rules of physics. Well, it doesn't break them. It just slows them down. So you have things like life uh, and you have cell, you have um, organis or organisms, more complex organisms, multicellular like us. Um, we also have natural systems like the weather system and the climate system and short-term systems like a hurricane or very short-term systems like a tornado where where there there's you know action going on it's it's um you know the feedback loops are recursive they're going back into into themselves and they're they're self-sustaining as long as they can get some energy and that's what we do we get some energy we eat food 
And the food that we eat ultimately comes from the sun. Sun is where the plants, you know, get uh, photons to make, pho you know, to photosynthesis, uh, photosynthesize and make glucose basically. And then we either eat them or we eat animals that eat the plants or, you know, or a chain of events that way. But that's where we're living off solar energy in one, in one form or another. And so we're, we can sustain ourselves for a very long period of time. So we're a system. But astrology, you know, does map these things out. We know that there is a medical astrology that maps out the condition of the body. And we know there's an astrometeorology, which maps out the behavior of the weather in various regions. And, you know, we could say there's an astroclimatology too, but that's a little more complex. Um, but astrology also maps out things like um, personality, and it maps out things like the behavior of groups. Astroanthropology, astropsychology? Maybe, yeah, certainly astropsychology. But what I point to in my book, and this is certainly not my idea by any means, this is an idea that's being developed by sociologists and um, system scientists in various disciplines, is that the idea that the brain activity itself has an emergent feature, and that's a, the you know the coordination of of the of all the impulses and uh, activity in the uh, nervous system develops into a consciousness, and then focuses on a personality, on on a a, um, a set of characteristics of behavior that's pretty much consistent, and that groups of entities, organisms that are able to produce these emergent minds, then form some kind of collective, which itself has a um, individual properties. You know, like you can have a nation state. And what's interesting is that there's a national character that is able to survive, you know, the lifespans of, you know, generation after generation. So if, a, you know, a, a nation state came together sometime, long ago, a thousand years ago, and it was shaped in a certain way by certain conditions, and it developed a set of behaviors and attitudes, it could be perpetuated, you know, for a thousand years by people, you know, being, you know, participating in it. So there, there's a kind of, you know, it's a sustained system. Is that what you call quorum sensing? Well, quorum sensing, yeah, in a way, quorum sensing is when you have enough of enough organisms to trigger an emergent property. And microbiologists study that um, because they see, you know, when, uh, you know, say, say a certain kind of bacteria begins to glow, you know, it has some luciferous in it and, you know, you have to have enough of them and then suddenly they're all doing it or, uh, you know, a flock of birds all tuned into each other. Uh, or, you know, a bunch of human beings in a punk rock concert in a mosh pit suddenly becoming coordinated in some bizarre way. I have a, a nephew who's a physicist that actually studies that as an emergent phenomena. He, you know, I guess uh, he likes to go to those concerts. <laughs> if, if you were going to do a projection on, you know, a, a particular nation state and how it may be, or what its future is economically, or I don't know, whatever, geopolitically, um, how is that done? Is that a, is that basically a birth chart for the country? Well, it's tricky. You know, we have, you know, an on ongoing debates about the birth charts for various countries. You know, there are charters and 
times when, you know, rulership changes. Um, you know, in the U.S., there's this Declaration of Independence and there's an ongoing argument as to, um, you know, what chart works. I, I think uh, astrologers tend to get too hung up in the uh, technique of uh, what I call a time slice, the astrological chart. You know, that's the, the most popular technique. You know, you do draw a circular graph for a, you know, a, a moment in time, time slice, and then you work with that. But I think there are other ways to do it. Um, sensitive degrees, you know, uh, you, you can notice that, you know, for example, in the United States, I've been noticing for many years that 14 degrees of the uh, mutable signs is very hot, right around those degrees. Now, you know, it turns out that that's the ascendant for like a roughly 5 p.m. 4th of July chart, but it might be something else. Uh, some countries change over time. They have different um, agreements with other countries, and maybe some of these degrees repeat over and over again. They become uh, embedded in the, the national psyche. I'm, I'm reading a little more about Russia lately, and uh, you know that's an interesting history of a lot of changes, but there are certain patterns that are certainly consistent. Let's talk about uh, your entree into astrology. My understanding is you started in your late teens, maybe 18, 19, young adulthood, let's say. Yeah, yep. You had some people in your immediate circle, maybe some girlfriends, and they all had the same yeah, I, you know, I had, well, I had this girlfriend. My first real serious girlfriend was born October 10th. And my best friend in high school was born October 11th. And, you know, and so I didn't think too much of it. I mean, I was, I was into science as a kid. But uh, when I got into uh, college, I had another relationship with a woman born October 10th. And these are both, you know, multi-year relationships. And my best friend in college was born October 9th. And uh, then I had another birthday at October 10th, another girlfriend I went out with for a while. And I thought, you know, and, and she, you know, she knew something about astrology. And I started looking at this and I found it to be a lot more complex than I was led to believe by the people that, you know, wrote off astrology as a pseudoscience. And I kind of dug into it. And uh, today, after a long life, I'm married to a woman born on October 11th. So my twin boys, back. my twin boys, I have twin boys, Yeah, 16 years old, October 10th. Oh, there you go. Born 10 minutes. Well, they started, they were, the first one was born 10 minutes after 10 on October So 10th. do you see the difference between them with their angles? Um, well, they're, they're night and day. I mean, they're fraternal, they're night and day. So, oh yeah. Well, and then, you know, 10 minutes apart, that means that's like two and a half years by solar arc on the midheaven. Oh, wow. Interesting. You know, so that one could get, you know, solar arc midheaven opposite Saturn at one point, maybe possibly during a time of crucial imprint vulnerability. And the other one could get it two and a half later and it makes no dent on them. That's so that's that's something you have to watch when you're dealing with twins. <laughs> you got to watch everything when you're dealing with twins. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> you have your hands full. Back in I only had one boy and that was tough. Aries. <laughs> He's an Aries. Well, now he's a Libra, but he's got an Aries moon, and that's, I think that says a lot. Ah, all right. We'll uh, take another time out. Bruce Schofield stays with us. Don't go away.
It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Bruce Schofield is with us. The Nature of Astrology, History, Philosophy, and the Science of Self-Organizing Systems. There it is right there. Get the glare off of that. How do we get a copy, Bruce? We can order it from Inner Traditions, the publisher, and they sell it there. But you can buy it at any other place that sells books, you know, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, anywhere they have it. But the publisher um, is Inner Traditions. They're in Vermont. Saturn. Um, you, you did a study for, uh, for your PhD on Saturn. I did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I basically looked at Kepler's writings on, you know, astrology, and he was, he was big on the idea of Saturn affecting the weather when it was an aspect to the sun. And so my PhD proposal was, okay, I'm going to test it. No one, no one had ever done that before. So I, I, you know, I got weather records and I went at it and uh, wrote it all up for a thesis. And my advisors were, uh, some, a couple of them were really bothered by it that I got results. You know, because I did all sorts of controls. And the worst, worst thing was when you, you know, you do it with Saturn and you get this, you know, the temperature declines around the time that the sun is opposite Saturn from a geocentric point of view. And it's pretty consistent. And if you stack them all up over the length of the weather records, you know, it's, it's there. But um, when I, for one of my controls, I did it with Jupiter, which, you, which is even more gravity, right? But I didn't get that effect. On the other hand, I got higher precipitation. So that's a real, you know, that's a that's a problem. You know, what are we going to do with this? And I, my advisors, a couple of them were a little troubled by it. <laughs> I was one of them. One of them said I was doing voodoo meteorology. <laughs> he was joking. He was. He was. A good, they were all good guys, but you know, that, it was such an unusual. PhD thesis. And uh, I, one of my original members of the committee quit uh, because he, he's a, actually a very big deal in the you know, climate change you know, world. Uh, you ever hear of the hockey stick? Oh, yes. Yeah. Right. The, you know, the graph. He was one of the three guys that did that. And he was on my committee. And he like finally, man. I, I can't support you. You're never going to get a grant. And we need money in this department. He was the head of the department. Michael, And you know, I totally understood, you know, but my advisor was, you know, she was uh, very interested in stirring up the status quo. So she liked what I was doing. She didn't know anything about astrology, but she just liked what I was doing. Um, Jupiter and Saturn. What's that? I wanted to ask you about Jupiter and Saturn because yeah. there's some question as to whether they even orbit our sun or whether there's something else out there that they actually... Well, there's the Barry Center. There's the center of mass of the solar system. So whenever you have a multiple body system, you know, and it starts organizing itself, right? It's become self-organizing because it is, after all, the solar system, mm. right? So it organizes itself. And, you know, the, the planets are substantial. Jupiter's pretty powerful. And Venus is close enough to the sun and Earth is close enough to have some kind of effect. And so what happens is that over time, the actual center of mass of the solar system moves outside of the body of the sun and so what you what you really see there is what's called the barry center and all the objects in the solar system including the sun are moving around it although a lot of the time that barry center is within the, the surface of the sun but it can move outside as far as one diameter one solar diameter 
Does that further complicate uh, astrological charts and? And not for most people. I mean, I think if you're doing heliocentric astrology, it's it's useful knowledge. And it's exactly how uh, a large number of exoplanets have been discovered. Uh, it, you know, they call it the radial velocity method. Um, but they, you know, they look for uh, variations, movements of the star itself. And then from that, they can compute how big the bodies are that are orbiting around it. So it's it's a real thing. Yeah. Wow. I'm jumping around here a little bit, but you know, time is tight and I want to cover as much ground as I can. I wanted to ask you the subject of lunacy, somewhat controversial and I, this, the full moon and behavior. Where, where are you with, with this ongoing investigation, shall we say? Well, you could find papers that so, show a correlation between the full moon and behavior like births and uh, you know, trouble, you know, police records. And you can find studies that are going to show no correlation at all. So it's kind of a big mess right now. And there are a lot of people that are very determined to show that the moon has no effect on people. But I have noticed over the course of my life that when there's a process going on, usually a multi-day process, um, it'll often be brought together right around the time of the full moon. And you see that if you follow politics, whenever there's some kind of big battle going on between parties that's, you know, that happens to, you know, last maybe a week or so, as soon as the full moon comes in, usually within a few hours of that, they reach some kind of conclusion. So I, I think that when human systems are in a vulnerable state, they're hypersensitive to things like that. Well, the election of the U.S. Speaker of the House took about a week. Was And that occurred right after the full moon. <laughs> there you go. There you yeah. go. Um, conjunctions. We had um, uh, Jupiter, Saturn, and I think Pluto. Pluto, yeah. In 2020. Yeah, big deal. Uh, We're still often, in. often ushering in a, some sort of a black swan event. Well, we had one of those in 2020. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it happened, you know, when the Protestant Re Reformation began and um, Cortez defeated the Aztecs. And that was pretty big stuff there. And other times in history, you got, you know, big disturbances too. Uh, it was in Capricorn. So it had a lot to do with government control. And uh, one of the things I always talked about, I was asked to speak on it a few times. And I thought that, you know, really what this signified was, uh, you know, a few years of grappling with, with uh, authoritarianism and government control over people. Uh, and that, that could be precipitated by any number of things, you know, wars, uh, natural disasters, epidemics. You know, I, I think that if if somebody was paying me, uh, if I had a full time job and I was getting, say, eh, you know, seventy five thousand a year U.S. dollars and my job was to really look at these things and, you know, try to hone my predictions, I think I could have called it. Because I would have had enough time to, you know, look at, you know, study virology. I knew a little bit about it and I knew uh, I, I had read Plagues and People by O'Neill, which is a great book on plagues. And one of the things he ends with, he says, hey, we got to look at the influenza. It's highly communicative. It's going to cause a problem at some point. So if I had all that information on my head and the time to do it, and I didn't have to worry about other things, you know, like taking care of things. I think that was kind of a no brainer. But astrologers, so, you know, you got to read horoscopes for people, you know, charts for people. And, you know, you got to hustle and it's uh, it's not an easy job. You just can't go out and, you know, look in the 
online or in the you know in the old days in the paper for a job being an astrologer. You know, we're just getting some schools where you can get cert- certifications or right. You know, you, you know, something like that. Well, a degree in uh, history from Rutgers doesn't help either. Doesn't hurt, rather. Doesn't no, I, I went to college not to get a job. I, w- I went to college to figure out what's going on. You know, my big question in life is like, what's reality? So I'm, I'm perfect for your show, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm interested in philosophy. I, I, you know, philosophy was my minor. Uh, history is, is, you know, if you want to really understand what's going on, you've got to start with history. Yeah. You've got to know some science. You know, so I basically studied history. And then uh, for my master's, I studied a lot of social science, anthropology, but I focused on history of science. And then I did later, I did the PhD and I did it in geosciences, but I worked for a microbiologist and evolutionist. And I taught for, I taught in the geosciences department, the the biology department, and one semester in the astronomy department. So it's all over the map. Uh, I want to ask you about Mars now. Sorry, Mercury, Mercury. Um, Why does everything bad get blamed on? Oh, Mercury's in retrograde. Like explain that. What does that mean? Well, you know, when Mercury, well, it's a phenomena that occurs because Mercury's orbits within the Earth's orbit around the sun. And there are times when they're positioned in such a way that from the Earth, it looks like Mercury is going backwards, but it's not really going backwards. Hmm. And there's a lot of uh, buzz about that, you know, that things go wrong. And a lot of times they do right when Mercury kind of stops in its motion and goes backwards or stops in its motion and goes forwards again. Those two points are kind of volatile. And you'll actually see weather events, usually often winds, wind events around those time and certain times at certain point parts of the earth, you know, obviously not everywhere. Um, and you'll find a lot of things don't really go so well. I mean, the general rule that astrologers talk about is that when Mercury's retrograde, just go over things you've already done, don't start anything new, which I think is really good advice. Um, no one, to my knowledge, has actually measured Mercury retrograde as a phenomena because it's hard to attach units to what it does. And that's the big problem with astrology. You can't do science with it very easily because you have to have units to do science unless it's just observational field studies. And I think, you know, one of the points I make in my book is that, you know, what astrologists do is not that different from field biologists out there with binoculars looking at what an animal's doing. You know, I study squirrels in my backyard and I learn a lot from it. And I think I consider that scientific because I make notes and I see what they're doing. The, um, are the effects of the planets, are they being muted because of uh, either light pollution? Uh, I mean, that makes it more difficult to observe, but the effects uh, down here on Earth, uh, other things like... Um, electronic smog like you know radio waves and all yeah. that is that does that yeah, the electrical wiring dampening the the effects yeah I, I don't you know it may be um you know Gawkelin thought that his you know his study of, of uh, multiple studies of uh, births and heredity and so on personality he thought that the uh that the intervention of uh, say a c-section messed up the scores that he was getting. So so that may be a factor. Other people think that, you know, because, and we're kind of electrical beings in many ways, uh, you know, being around all these wires that are on our walls and looking at, you know, cathode ray tubes, you know, might be disturbing. 
Um, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, if certainly if astrology is based on electromagnetism, there's got to be an effect. But I don't know that astrology is based on electromagnetism. I, you know, what I say in the book is that there may be multiple um, causes for different kinds of astrology. But they tend to all obey the same rules. That's why you can do a heart, you know, a birth chart for weather and a birth chart for a person. And a birth chart for the stock market. What's the next big conjunction we're looking at? Uh, well, there's Saturn uh, Neptune coming up in a couple of years. That, that should be pretty interesting. Um, you know, Neptune's been in Pisces for a long time now. You know, I guess that's seven, eight years or so. And I've I've seen it as um, correlating with an increase in the amount of nonsense and you know, so-called fake news, you know, when the fake news are calling the real news, the fake news, that's Neptune and Pisces. Um, Saturn's going to, I think, going to be like the Grim Reaper is going to come in and clean a lot of this stuff up. And a lot of people are not going to like it. And, you know, so we're, we're going to move into that this year when Saturn enters Pisces. But um, the actual conjunction, I believe, comes in a couple of years. So, you know, I mean, Humans have overpopulated the planet. Most of us are insanely anthropocentric. And most of us are thinking short term. And the, the reason why is because, you know, we've, you know, we're, uh, uh, we've been civilized for only a very short period of time. You know, we're, we've been domesticated primates for 50,000 years or so. If, and, that, and that would be a high figure. But you know, we just haven't had time to really adjust to everything we've created from agriculture on. So we're a little crazy. And, you know, the reality is that we're, we're messing up the world. I mean, we're soiling our nest on a scale that we've never seen before. And um, I, I just think with Saturn coming over Neptune, it's going to be, you know, you know, coming to terms with what's really going on. I mean, you could see what's happening with climate change already. It's just like one disaster after another. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of people that are uh, pushing out a lot of baloney about it. And uh, I think the Saturn-Neptune will, um, you know, kind of slow that down, if not stop it in many cases. But, the, but what, when that happens, it's not going to be that good. We have a lot of cleanup to do and a lot of, you know, a lot of reconcilia reconciliation with reality. The reality that we cannot sustain a lot of things that we do including this, that anthropocentrism I just talked about. And, and astrologers are guilty of that too. It's all about people. And that's one of the things that I try to point out in my book. I, it's the nature of astrology. I mean, like astrology is looking at nature as a whole. You know, we're, we're like, you know, a very sophisticated monkey, you know, ape really. You know, we're, and, you know, other animals do things. I mean, you know, there's tool using animals. So absolutely we're, we're, you know, like an order of magnitude greater than them in terms of the development of mind and language and communication. But, you know, in the, the larger scheme of things, it's, you know, we're still megafauna living on this planet with all these other things. And now, uh, you know, if we don't watch what we're doing, we're just going to make it worse for us. We've already made it worse for ourselves. So, yeah, Saturn, Neptune, uh, you know, that's, you know, the, the Grim Reaper comes to town, says, hey, pay up. <laughs> on that I'm bringing bad news <laughs> and you know you know we have Pluto and Aquarius and we can look at that as 
put a positive spin on that and say that, yeah, you know, maybe uh, there'll be some innovations. We'll have some great technological breakthroughs and we might be able to fix a lot of our problems. It's not all doom and gloom, but I do think with Saturn Neptune, it's it's reconciliation with reality. With with Pluto and Aquarius, it's the opportunity to innovate our way out of it. All right, go look at that. And I think it, I think that will accelerate when Uranus goes into Gemini. All right, I'm 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 betting on Pluto. Yeah. <laughs> All right, the nature of astrology. Once again, Bruce, how do we get a copy? Uh, Inner Traditions. They have a website. Um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, most other places to sell books. Bruce, I saw it on eBay the other day. Oh, terrific! All right, great play. Full price. Nice to meet you. Thank Same you here. Much. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday.